I am Jim Wallace, and this is The Soul of the Nation. Many of you know me as the founder of the faith-based social justice advocacy group, Sojourners. I am delighted to inform you that I have accepted a new position as the chair of Faith and Justice at the McCourt School of Public Policy and the director of the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown University. While I remain deeply committed to Sojourners, I am very excited about our new work at Georgetown and our ability to bring the soul of a nation to its new home at the Center on Faith and Justice. In our new season of The Soul of the Nation, Democracy in Peril, we examine the disturbing events that are playing out at the local, state, and federal levels of our government to thwart the will of the people and chip away at the democratic foundation upon which our nation was built. Please follow us on your favorite podcast app and share the soul of a nation with your friends and family. In today's episode, you will hear from two protectors of the integrity of our democratic system of government, Representative Terry Sewell. At the end of the day, our democracy, this constitution, this 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 exercise in form of government, if you will, the base of that is the right to vote. It's fundamental. John would always say that, John Lewis. John would say it's almost sacred. And Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock. The vote is a kind of prayer for the world we desire for ourselves and for our children. I, I believe that it is sacred because at, at root, the vote is about your voice and your voice is about your human dignity. Representative Sewell and Reverend Warnock join me at Georgetown University. There in a packed auditorium of students, they discussed their ongoing battle to secure and maintain voting rights for people who are at risk of losing their franchise to participate in our democratic elections. But first, you'll hear a brief conversation with Jack DeJoya, president of Georgetown University. Well, Jack, you have been on my my mind and my heart, my thoughts and prayers during this, again, this uh, COVID crisis, which you have to take care of a whole university. So bless you for doing that in your wonderful, faithful way. And I appreciate this time uh, to spend together. Oh, Jim, thank you. Thank you. And it's just what a great honor to be here with you and to be in conversation with you and also to welcome you into our Georgetown community where you're no stranger. You've been doing some teaching for us for some time now, but now the Center on Faith and Justice and your presence and, and the new chair, uh, I just can't tell you how thrilled we are to, to have you as a part of our university community in this new way. What I hope the Center can, can do is help Georgetown, help all of us and help this nation enter into that conversation about whether America's possible. Uh, what it will mean to be that kind of place where all of us are valued as made in the image of God from the first book of Genesis, that imago Dei politics, if you will, common good politics. So to me, I'm looking forward to the center as being a place for that kind of conversation with lawmakers and with ordinary people about what kind of nation can we become and the danger, the danger of what we could become if we allow our worst demons to overcome our better angels. We're a Jesuit institution in the city of Washington. 
And the responsibility that comes with being here in Washington is one that can only be realized when we have folks like you doing just the things that you're doing. I just can't tell you how grateful I am that, that you're here, that you bring the perspective that you do, and that we have an institutional structure that enables us to unlock the potential for the university to do ever new work at, at a time when it's so urgently needed. You know, the values that animate us uh, can be abstractions. And we're at our best when those, those values become concrete in the work, in the lives, in the witness that, that our, our community is providing, is engaging, is, is, is contributing. And what, what you make possible, what your presence makes possible is an ever deeper way for us to take these incredible values, but to make them come alive in this moment, concretely, in ways that will enable us to try, try to ensure the capacity for all of our people, all of our people to flourish. There's nobody I can think of who I'd rather work with in all this than you. So thank you for this time together, and I look forward to all those brainstorming lunches we have ahead. <laughs> I look forward to it too, Jim. It's an honor to be with you, and I really enjoyed our conversation. That was Jack DeJoya, president of Georgetown University. And now, here is the conversation we had with Representative Terry Sewell and Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock at the Lorfink Auditorium at Georgetown University. fight for voting rights, everything is going to be at stake. Not just equal citizenship, but the very future of democracy in this country. And I want to say tonight that voting rights must be named also as a faith issue, even a test of faith. In this year alone, 2021, lawmakers in 49 states across the country have introduced 425 bills to restrict voter access. Something is going on here. This is unprecedented partisan grab for power, which we have never seen before. Now, what's going on? Many of us believe that the restriction of voting rights is part of a strategy to protect white supremacy in the United States. So to help us talk more deeply about this issue, I am honored and I'll say we are blessed to be joined by two of the most important leaders on voting rights in America today. Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, I really love calling you Senator. No, I really do that. That's new, we, I never did that before. <laughs> Congresswoman Terry Sewell is in her sixth term representing Alabama's 7th Congressional District. She is one of the first... She is one of the first women ever elected to Congress from Alabama in her own right and the first black woman to ever serve in the Alabama Congressional Delegation. First, let's talk about what's happening around the country. You use the word sacred, both of you, in your talk about voting rights. Why is this 
sacred. John would always say that, John Lewis, you know, if you can, you know, he gave us the roadmap. And I, I sometimes get very discouraged uh, about the infighting, especially over voting rights, given the history of right. five, three Republican presidents, under three Republican presidents, it was reauthorized. It's something that is fundamental to our democracy. At the end of the day, our democracy, this constitution, this, this, this exercise in form of government, if you will, the base of that is the right to vote. It's fundamental. As John would say, it's almost sacred. And you called it a prayer. Voting is like a prayer. Yeah, I, I've said that a vote is a kind of prayer for the world we desire for ourselves and for our children. I, I believe that it is sacred because at, at root, the vote is about your voice and your voice is about your human dignity. You know, I'm glad to be at Georgetown because, you know, I, 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 I can talk in, in, these, in these terms. The root understanding of salvation in the ancient texts is literally the broadening of communal space. That's what salvation means. And that gets lost in a world where we have so privatized religion that it becomes insular and siloed and disengaged. But to the ancient Hebrews, I'm thinking about that text in Exodus where God says, I have seen the suffering of my people. I have seen what their taskmasters in Egypt are doing. I have, I have heard their cry and I have come down to deliver them out of Egypt, he says, into the good and spacious land. It is a land where everybody can breathe. And Voting rights are preservative of all other rights. The, the ability to vote checks the excesses of those who are in power. It checks tyranny. If, if we weren't able to stand up in Georgia and vote, we wouldn't have been able to pass the expanded child tax credit, which cuts child poverty in our country in half. Voting did that. We don't get a chance to fight against climate change, which is an existential threat. We don't get to deal with the issue of poverty. It is, it is sacred. It's about the broadening of communal space. And so for me, this, this is deeper than any kind of partisan political argument. I sit here knowing that you won't win all the fights. But that idea of one person, one vote, that's the covenant that we have with one another as an American people, and we ought to defend it with all our might. It's not the difference between right and left, it's between right and wrong. It's the ability of, of people to be heard in their own democracy. Well, let's start with what's happening in your home state of Georgia where this is raging. A raft of, of voter restrictions are so many it's hard to know where to look. Which of these restrictions that you're facing in Georgia are most significant? And what is the biggest threat to voting rights right now? both in your state and around the country. I would say, what does this signify? A word that you know the importance of. Um, what's going on in Georgia and all across our country is very serious. It is an all out unabashed assault on our democracy. And those of us who believe in democracy have to take up this fight. And so I'm deeply honored to be in this struggle with you. Uh, to fight for our country, to fight for our democracy, because I believe in democracy. I believe that democracy is 
the political enactment of a spiritual idea. This notion that all of us have within us a spark of the divine and so we ought to have a voice in determining, helping to determine the direction of our country and our destiny within it. And there are many terrible provisions in SB 202 down in Georgia, but I'll just select one. One, one is the ability of partisan state actors to swoop down into local elections and without any good cause, take over the elections. And so I have a provision in the Freedom to Vote Act called the Preventing Election Subversion Act of 2021. And it would prevent partisan actors at the state level from swooping down and taking over elections. What we are witnessing right now, folks, is democracy in reverse. Instead of the people being able to pick their politicians, the politicians are trying to pick the their people through partisan gerrymandering, through this ability to subvert elections, uh, through this ability to have endless challenges. Uh, you can have in Georgia right now, based on the provisions in SB 202, your neighbor can challenge everybody on their street, everybody in their community, and all of those things have to be chased down, sowing the seeds of chaos in our democracy. And it is a, it is, it is a moral question it is a, an emergency, and that's why I'm so very focused, because I think that th there are a lot of things we need to do in the Congress, this 117th Congress, but the most important thing we can do this Congress is to pass voting rights, and I won't rest until we, until we do it. President, you're from Selma, and you represent Montgomery and Birmingham, the cradle, as we say, of a Sorry, movement and that bridge, Edmund Pez Bridge, where the drama was fought. And you're chair of the Voting Rights Caucus from where you're sitting. Why are some people wanting to go backward instead of forward? And what is the biggest threats you see right now? I grew up in Selma, Alabama. My babysitter was Cheyenne Webb Kreisberg, <laughs> uh, who was eight years old and uh, sitting on the knee of Reverend Martin Luther King, literally the morning of the march. And... She was my babysitter. She, my dad was a high school basketball coach. My mom was the first black uh, woman to be on the city council in Selma. And for those who knew my mom, um, they know that uh, she was the real congresswoman from Alabama, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and when you think about the threats that are currently facing us in this nation, I would say that there are three threats. First, voter suppression. Secondly, apathy, voter apathy. And third, political will. Let me start with the first. Voter suppression is the systematic threat of the democracy and the vote uh, by some so that they would actually seek to discriminate, pick winners and losers, if you will, at the ballot box. Who gets to go and vote? It's unacceptable. And we heard, you've, you gave us all the statistics, 425 pieces of legislation right. in 49 states just this summer, and 33 of them into law, the most pernicious being in Georgia, I think. So voter suppression is the name of the game. And what's sad about it is that the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was reauthorized five times. Most recently, in 2006, for 25 years, under Republican President George W. Bush. It passed out of the Senate in 2006, 98 to zero. Voting rights, especially among the elected, elected officials, should not be a partisan issue. 
We should all want, especially as elected officials, our constituents and the people to vote. After all, the vote is your voice in this democracy. Secondly, apathy. When we stay home, when we stay home and don't vote, others win. Our voice is squelched. That vote matters. If you don't think that vote matters, ask the voters of Georgia who delivered to this great Senate two Democrats, one a Jewish man and one a black man. Georgia. <laughs> I'm from Alabama. And uh, as you know, I'm the only member of Alabama's delegation that's of color and uh, the only Democrat. So I know, I know my dad would say, uh, it's okay to stand alone if you're standing up for what you believe is right. So I never feel alone in that delegation. But I want you to know that your apathy, voter apathy, is a threat mm -hmm. to our democracy. And then lastly, political will. The reality is that the House of Representatives already passed H.R. 1, the For the People Act. I know it has been you know, revised and I think reformed by this Freedom to Vote Act that's currently in the Senate. And then H.R. 4, which is the John Robert Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act that I was so proud to introduce, not just this Congress, but every Congress since 2013. First time, this time uh, without John Lewis. But I know that the, the Voting Rights Act of, uh, of 1965 must be fully restored. The full protections of the Voting Rights Act, because it's still there, it's just the teeth of it. Section five, preclearance is really inoperable unless you have a section four, which was found unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Section four is the formula to determine which states are the most egregious actors and therefore must pre-clear all of their voting laws before they go into effect, before they go into effect. You can't unring the bell. So pre-clearance is very important. And so that's what HR four does or S four as it's over in the Senate. And when I say political will, I'm talking about the filibuster. Because the reality is, that's a procedure that the, the party in charge determines what the procedures of the House and the Senate will be. We have to demand of our political leaders, especially since our vote matters, and you've given that vote to Democrats, both in the House, the Senate, and the White House, that we have the political will to move aside a procedure to do what is right. So, Political will is something that you all can help us with, and I hope that you will. Now, Stacey Abrams said this quite well. Voter suppression is no longer billy clubs and hoses and dogs. It's administrative rules. It's bureaucratic barriers. It's precincts that seem to close in the dead of night. Now, you've taken us to Washington from where it's happening around the country, and you've mentioned this filibuster thing. Now, Senator, uh, when you gave your first speech on the Senate floor, you talked about this is Jim Crow in new clothes. We have this problem called the filibuster. How do we deal with that in the Senate? Well, let me be clear, and I've, I've been consistent on this point. We have to pass voting rights no matter what. And we can't allow anything 
to get in the way of doing what is necessary to preserve the sanctity of our democracy. And so when I came to the Senate, you know, everybody kept asking me about the F word. <laughs> and I have to push back a bit because folks kept asking me about the filibuster and I, I began to say to the media, instead of asking me about that, why don't you ask the folks on the other side of the aisle why they are against having a debate on voting rights? They were so easily just letting them off of the hook. Yeah. And you know, I'm an old, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. It's never too late to get saved, to get religion. <laughs> and they, they could still vote to let us have a debate because that's what they blocked. And I, I want you to be really clear about that. They have voted three times this Congress to block us from being able to have a debate on voting rights. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't vote the bill down. They voted the ability of, for us to get on the bill to have a debate. And um, we presented the Freedom to Vote Act, which I and others wrote. Senator Manchin and I are all in the same room. So voting rights, let me be clear, voting rights in the minds of many was dead in June when they voted against our ability to have a debate. But I was not about to let it die. We will keep working on this. When they blocked our ability to even have a debate on this in June, you remember, if you watch what was going on in the Capitol and in the media, there was this pivot, pivot towards infrastructure. And I'm for infrastructure, but we can do infrastructure and the infrastructure of our democracy. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and so we insisted that we couldn't allow voting rights to die. And because of that advocacy, because I went to leadership, pastor of a church where Martin Luther King Jr. served, John Lewis's pastor, son of a mother who grew up in Waycross, Georgia in the 50s. I bring that experience, it's in my bones, I bring it to this work. And I insisted that we had to stay focused on voting rights, and as a result of that, eight of us got in a room and we wrote the Freedom to Vote Act. Mm -hmm. Senator Manchin and I are co-authors of that. He was never on for the people. He's a co-author of the bill. And uh, it's a compromise bill, but it is what we need, it's strong. It is not a weak bill, it's a strong bill and it's a fair bill. But what we've said to our Republican colleagues is if you don't like what we presented, fine, let's have a debate. We've offered them endless amendments. You can, you can offer as many amendments as you want. Let's talk about it. And here's the thing that's really strange, Jim. People talk about how divided our country is. Have you thought about this? Both Democrats and Republicans are saying that there's something broken in our democracy. How we frame the argument is different, but both Democrats and Republicans are saying that there's something wrong, there's something broken, there's something awry in the democracy. Well, well if Democrats and Republicans, folk on the left and the right agree that there's something broken in the democracy, how could we not have a debate about it in the United States Senate? And so that's what's at stake. We'll keep pushing the issue, but I think history will judge us harshly, and it should if we don't find a way to get voting rights done. And I, I can't speak for the 99, I can speak for the one. I won't rest. I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that we understand how important this moment is because here, here's my fear. I think, 
I think for folks who've been around for a while, who've been in office for a while, um, you see a lot of fights and you win some, you lose some. I get it, that's how democracy works. But I think there is a danger that you can be lulled into thinking, well, we didn't get it this time, we'll come back next year. Here's the thing, I, I think that when you look at hundreds of bills introduced in 49 states, dozens already passed, all of these audits, one third of the country saying that the president isn't legitimate. I think when you look at all of these things put together, if we don't find a way to do something about this, we may well have crossed a Rubicon that will make it difficult for us to set things right for another generation. And so we've got to do everything we can. We've got to pass both of these bills. We've got to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and we have to pass John Lewis. The, the democracy is in a 911 emergency. And the Freedom to Vote Act puts the fire out because the four most powerful words in a democracy are the people have spoken. And we've got to be clear at the end of the election that it's the people who've been doing the speaking. So let's get religion here. We, we've got to get to the place that's deeper than a broken system. You said it was 98 to zero in 2006, right. Republicans and Democrats. Republicans consistently voted for the extension of the Voting Rights Act again and again, and now they're not. So this is, this is not just partisan or politics. And universities are nervous about that kind of talk as our churches. Where do the two of you find hope? Where do you get your hope in a battle like this? I find strength um, from my four mothers and forefathers because I know that I didn't get here by myself. I know that Amelia Boynton Robinson deserved to be, yeah. in 1964, the first black woman to represent Alabama in Congress. But because she could not, she stood up and voiced and got beaten on a bridge, I get to walk the halls of Congress. Amelia was my special guest at the State of the Union in 2015. And some people have heard me tell this story, but I just wanna remind you, when you ask, where do I get my strength? When I'm tired, I pass by that glorious picture of Shirley Chisholm in the nation's capital. And she has that point, the hand pointed. And I think to myself, I should be no ways tired because she fought the fight. She fought the fight. Amelia Boynton Robinson would often say, and, and when, when she came to, 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 to Washington on the, on the eve of, of the State of the Union and had a chance to meet Barack Obama, we were off in this little vestibule off of Congress waiting for Barack Obama to come and everyone to a person said the same thing to her. Oh, Miss Amelia, I stand on your shoulders. Oh, Miss Amelia, I wouldn't have been here. And she was 103 at that point, 103 precious cargo. And so when every person would come up and say the same thing, finally, when one person, the last person said, I stand on your shoulders, she said, get off my shoulders. <laughs> All of you, do your own work. I love it. I have that posted on, <laughs> do your own work. So I find inspiration, I have it on, my, um, on a post-it on my bathroom wall in Birmingham, Alabama. And it reminds me every day that I gotta what? Do my own work. If there could be anything that looks like a silver lining, maybe a lesson, maybe not a silver lining, but a lesson coming out of January 6th, it is the reminder of just how precious uh, this democracy really is. And for all of its faults, for all of its warts, it's the best system we've got and we need to 
do everything we can both to improve it, to enhance it, to correct it, and to preserve it. I want you to vote. Volunteer, organize, turn out, and elect people who will do the right thing. All right. Let us thank our guests and thank you all. In the coming weeks, we will continue publishing new episodes of The Soul of a Nation with important and timely conversations exploring how and why our democracy is in such peril with insights from House January 6th committee member Jamie Raskin, University Professor of African American Studies at Princeton University, Eddie Glaude, Jr., and USA Today columnist Kirsten Powers, author of Saving Grace. We are seeking your support to evangelize the message of the soul of the nation, and we invite you and your communities to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And you can also subscribe to our new newsletter, God's Politics, for free by going to faithandjustice.georgetown.edu. That's faithandjustice.georgetown.edu and click on the media tab. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, blessings to you for the soul of the nation.